0: One of the things I like to tell people is don't wait to get started. Even though we're in this difficult and unique time, you have to know where things are at right now. And also designating an owner. I mean, somebody who owns this will help drive it forward. If nobody owns uh, listening to your stakeholders, then nobody's going to do it. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive
1: Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, I'm joined by Brian Newmanville. He's a consultant, author, speaker, thought leader who really focuses on kind of this hybrid approach of strategy, research, feedback, and just the market opportunity. He's insightful, he's thoughtful, and I wanted to bring him on to kind of reflect on what he experienced through his consulting work with nonprofits in 2020, where there's opportunities that he sees organizations missing out on or under leveraging, and also just a future outlook. What should be at the top of our priority list as nonprofit leaders? We dig into all of this and more, so let's get into it. Brian, you've shared in the past that you you have a very interesting path to your work today with nonprofits. Could you kind of unpack that for us and give us some visibility into kind of the map you've been following to get to the work that you're doing today?
0: Sure, no, that's a yeah, that's a, it is an interesting path. So I'd say that my interest in nonprofit work really started with my grandfather, who always found a way to lend a hand to others both generally and as a volunteer. You know, until he was about 80 years old, He volunteered at a food shelf in Minneapolis to help other seniors, really an inspirational role model. He was someone who had little, didn't need much, but wanted to help others. And uh, so that kind of led me to, in general, kind of see that role model of of, uh, uh, what does this look like to help other people? Uh, More formally, after college, I spent about 20 years, not quite, but nearly 20 years at a Fortune 500 food company where for many years I led marketing research and public relations, and then the Corporate Foundation, where we partnered with dozens of nonprofits from a funding perspective. So uh, what was great about that role was really getting to know a wide range of nonprofits in hunger, in shelter, in literacy, uh, and in the health space in the Twin Cities and beyond uh, in some parts of the U.S. And while in this role, I was able to design and execute many impactful cause marketing programs, things Uh, One of them was called Feeding Imagination. It was a a program where we collected books uh, in exchange for wearing jeans initially in the corporate office is how it started. And then it grew to the entire uh, organization Uh, we collected by the time I left. And I think it continued beyond that. But it was 130,000 books by the time I left the organization back in 2012. Um, We also came up with a Helping Hands in the Community Day. I kind of invented this as a major corporate volunteerism event where We shut down the corporate office for a day and sent everybody out to a volunteer uh, experience at one of, I think it was about 18 nonprofits. Um, And we also did other fun things like uh, feeding imagination games uh, and books and bikes where we had athletes and authors and civic leaders involved. And at the end of the day, um, we ended up getting the Jefferson Award from the Minneapolis St. Paul Business Journal. So it was really, uh, that was kind of my first foray into it from a more formal standpoint. But then kind of concurrent with all this, I started serving on nonprofit boards, uh, mainly in the local hunger space um, and the international relief space, um, including board chair roles for two nonprofits, one of which I still chair today. So all that to fast forward to the kind of work I'm doing today, which is consulting with nonprofits, primarily in the areas of organizational insights and feedback, as well as communications and public relations, and uh, food and food retailing is the other area that I that I consult in. So it's it's been an interesting path with a lot of different turns, but uh, all valuable and kind of bringing me to where I am now.
1: Yeah, that is fascinating. And I appreciate you kind of diving in deep to kind of that background story, because what I found so interesting, I've probably done about 60, 70 of these interviews over the course of a few different podcasts. And we all have that spark. We all have that story. And we talk a lot about this here at Virtuous, too, because your donors have that story too. Like there's a personal reason as to why they're invested in the cause that you're you're working on. And as fundraisers, we really need to connect organizations to doing that. Uh, especially, you know, in a year like 2020, where we had physical distance, where you couldn't necessarily engage directly, you had to kind of engage in a distance environment while still driving connection. I, I, I would be... Uh, Remiss to not ask you as you've reflected on 2020 and the work that you did with nonprofits, what learnings came out of last year? And is there anything that you're encouraging organizations to hold on to as they push forward into 2021?
0: Well, I think that's a great question. I mean, one of the things was really to capitalize on change. So, you know, the tendency when you get into an environment like what we've all lived through for the last year is to kind of retreat to what's comfortable sometimes and to kind of you know, to try to to try to, to feel better about what's going on. But in reality, sometimes embracing change during that time period helps your team look at things differently, find new perspectives, uh, pivot, uh, to use an overused word, um, or make adjustments to take advantage of what's different. So, you know, one of the things that one of the nonprofits I work with is Matter in Minnesota, And MATTER uh, pivoted from, one of the things they did was a lot of in-person packing events. So bringing people together to pack MATTER boxes, which are healthy food boxes that go out uh, throughout the community, actually throughout the United States to different communities. And so, but a lot of this came from uh, companies coming together, bringing their associates together as a team building effort to pack. Well, obviously, as soon as you get into social distancing and that type of thing, you can't bring people together to do that. So there was some reinvention that had to happen, which was turning this all into a virtual event. So uh, yet retaining kind of the best parts of the in-person event. So what happened there was bringing it together as a zoom event, um, everybody getting the the boxes, the materials to, to create these boxes shipped to them. Um, several big companies got involved in doing this with, uh, with matter. And it really was kind of a, a cool thing. So I, I think there's some value to embracing the different and trying to uh, continue with that. I mean, th- when we get back together in person, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't do that, but there's going to be other times where maybe there's ways we learn to do things during this time period that we can bring forward with us and reach more people to do more good.
1: Yeah, I, I, I've heard so many stories of organizations that had to pivot or had to change because we we honestly had forcing circumstances. Um, I, I've not <laughs> met many nonprofits that enjoy change or many people for that matter, And so the environment last year really forced this. As a consultant, though, there's always this focus on how do I help an organization build kind of a capability of change and being able to look at things with new eyes and fresh perspectives, regardless of, you know, kind of the the noted constraints of a moment. Have you found ways that you've encouraged teams to really build up that muscle or kind of capability to be able to adapt and be more uh, kind of nimble in the work that they're doing?
0: Well, I think, uh, you know, where it all kind of starts is uh, listening to learn, right? So at the end of the day, capturing and collecting information about what you do and taking that to kind of bring yourself to the next level as a proactive process, as opposed to something you do because you have to do it. Um, is what really separates, I think, a lot of people um, that are more successful from those that aren't. So, I always encourage and help organizations develop ways to listen. So, whether that's um, you know social media, whether that's surveys, whether that's focus groups, culture teams, whatever the right things are for an organization and for a circumstance, um, that's where you're going to get some great information. You know, because how how are your you know how is your team doing during this time period? How about your external stakeholders and your ex- and your uh, internal stakeholders. And so really trying to listen. Uh, in fact, I co-authored a book called Feedback Rules uh, that that helps provide some kind of basic tips on how to to get into that. But at the end of the day, you can take those learnings and you can then turn that into proactive activity before you get to a point where you have to react.
1: Yeah, I hear you. And I know if I'm listening, I'm like, I agree, Brian. (laughs) But the matter of the fact is that, you know, on the day to day in the distributed environment, like, just trying to get everything done is a priority, like, let alone kind of focusing on some of these other uh, avenues that are really going to help drive forward. Any advice for the skeptic listening to you uh, right now and how they might be able to move from kind of that position of I'm I'm burnt out. I'm exhausted. We're trying to survive, trying to take care of my family, trying to lead my team as best as possible. But we're just trying to make it
0: right. Well, and and of course I understand that too because uh, you know my clients are in the same boat a lot of times. Um, and so yeah, I mean it's it's a challenge. You have to kind of set aside the time to to be proactive, and at the same time you're trying to get the day to day done. You're trying to connect with donors. You're trying to connect with partners. You're trying to you know to fulfill your mission. But I think that um, the successful organizations that are out there are, are thinking ahead of that, realizing and you know setting aside that time, uh, even when there isn't that time to set aside, to uh, plan and prepare for the future. So, um, and, and once you get that into the rhythm of the organization, I think that becomes a lot easier. You know, One of the things I like to tell people is don't wait to get started. Um, even though we're in this difficult and unique time, you have to know where things are at right now. Um, and also designating an owner. I mean, somebody uh, who owns this will help drive it forward. If nobody owns uh, listening to your stakeholders, then nobody's going to do it. So having those kinds of things in place and, you know, realizing it doesn't always have to be difficult. I mean, there's, there's a number of, ch- of channels, that I'll call them, that you can listen in. Um, for example, you can use social media. Now, you have to be careful because social media is not necessarily representative of everybody that you want to listen to but it's a, it's one way to get quick uh, and valuable feedback. Um, you know, then there's the more formal stuff like surveys and, and other tools um, culture teams and things to, to listen, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, don't, I think that the key is act today. Don't think it has to be um, complicated or difficult, but do something and have someone own it is the first place to start. Yeah. It's it's ironic
1: that you brought up ownership. I was on a call this morning with about 60, you know, fundraising leaders around the country. And we asked the question, who owns change at your nonprofit? And Brian, not, you wouldn't be surprised by this, <laughs> but the answers were completely polarized. It was either everyone or nobody. <laughs> and I was like, well, neither of those is great. Right. Like <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not the answer. Um, and, I, I, I think it's a real challenge and I think it takes courageous leadership right now. And I think that's, that really is the differentiator. So, if, you know, I'm talking to nonprofit leaders and saying, you know, what is the most crucial thing for 2021? It's how do I be a courageous leader? How do I ensure that as you use, you know, the rhythms of our teams, the rhythms of my organizations are designed in a way to absorb shock, because I'm sure there's, you know, new and uncertain things behind, you know, the next corner. Um, But also being able to be purposeful in the steps that you do take forward in every single month. I know that's something I even do here on my team is how do we make sure that we're aligned up front, but then quickly get out of the basement, as I've heard Mm -hmm. one consultant call it, and just get into the field and be able to start listening, connecting with customers, uh, trying different things, testing it out, but then coming back. And having a cycle where it's like, okay, let's now reflect, let's replan, let's go back out to the market. And so I I think you're absolutely right about that ownership, but then also embedding it into your rhythms. Are there other things you think, you know, outside of this this conversation around ownership and being uh, really capitalizing on change, what are some of the other priorities you would recommend for leaders to, to keep in focus as they you know, many are still trying to just figure out what they're going to do for 2021. So what what would you encourage them to have in their top five
0: list? Well, you know, I think uh, another thing that's going to be really important going forward is to to kind of grant grace and exude empathy. Um, You know, as things continue to operate differently and remotely, uh, at least for the, the near term, you know, cut others some slack, right? As a leader, you have the power to set the tone in your organization. And if we thought things were stressful during normal times, we all know, that this has only multiplied uh, during this pandemic. So look for ways to give others grace and show some empathy and checking in, not to find the things that are going wrong, but to empathize uh, with what people are facing and uh, whether that's in their personal life, their professional life uh, and, and dealing with that change. So that's kind of one thing I think is, is super important. Um, another one is you know uh, strengthening skills. So you may have found that you have some additional time because you've got less of a commute, you're not traveling as much. Um, is, there an, is there an area you've wanted to, to strengthen for yourself? Uh, whether that's that class you wanted to take online or whether that's uh, you know something to increase your knowledge. I've taken advantage of this uh, last year to dig deeper into professional interests like uh, search engine optimization, trying to, to dig deep and find out more and learn more. But at the same time, uh, experimenting with virtual reality for fun uh, to you know dig into something I hadn't previously experimented with. So those are a couple of items I think are, are important uh, to do during this time period.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you look out kind of on the horizon, though, I know one thing that uh, a lot of people are asking us here at Virtuous, and we're always trying to curate resources and kind of just different perspectives on this is kind of where the future of fundraising is going. And I'm not asking you to, you know, project the future, that would be silly, (laughs) but I'm curious where you're seeing trending uh, lines or, you know, even within the data of your organizations that you serve, you know, are they seeing increases and decreases in different areas what, do you, what are you observing observing ah, I can't say that observing <laughs> um, rather than trying to predict the future but what, what are you seeing in the market and what does the future look like?
0: Well you know I mean there's there are a few things that I think are are definitely um, things to focus on, right I mean I think social relevance, I mean with all of the things that have happened this year with the social unrest, the fires in the west coast, there's a desire for more social relevance, um, in, in fundraising and by fund, you know, by people donating. So I think that they're looking for how, how is an organization really addressing, uh, those social issues. Do you have an example of that before you move on, Brian? I'm just curious
1: what, what that might look like for an organization, or if you have an example where an organization's kind of stepped up their social relevance in the last year.
0: Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of uh, corporations, uh, like in the Twin Cities, for instance, we had this whole uh, situation with George Floyd. I think there's a lot of organizations, both from the uh, people who are asking for grant proposals on um, different elements of how you're going to serve those communities. I think that's one side of it. I think there's a lot of companies that have also uh, stepped up and um, just decided that they're going to do more with those things. So I kind of see those two, uh, both the funders and the, and the granters kind of, that's kind of streaming together. Uh, I don't know that I have a specific example I can give you, but I think I, I see that as a general trend with a lot of a lot of different organizations. Um, so I think that that's going to be something that's going to be more important and have more relevance um, as we move through this year. Um, as well as with the change in administration, so I think there's a kind of a tie-in with all those things. Um, so that's one example I would I would give there. I think the other is uh, another good example is sustainability, uh, environmental sustainability, organizational sustainability, um, you know, corporate social responsibility. To use a, a buzzword from the a little bit from the past almost now, um, that's been building for years. Um, you know when I was at, at the company I used to work at that I talked about in, uh, earlier in my background, um, we were on the front end of that back then. I mean, there, we were kind of, you know, it was how do we get all of our employees engaged and rowing the same way for, for interesting uh, things that make a difference? And it feels like this last year, we kind of reached a real tipping point. Um, there's a greater interest in and expectation of organizations and leaders to embrace Uh, both social causes as well as meaningful efforts on sustainability in a number of ways.
1: Yeah, and I would agree. I I definitely think those two points are something that are coming to the the forefront more and more. I think the other thing that's been interesting is seeing this pivot over the last year from digital fundraising being a program of, of an organization's fundraising strategy or fundraising mix to now being kind of a central tenet of the entire fundraising strategy. I don't know if you've observed this as well, but we've seen this a lot where organizations previously, like they had this strategy that sat over here and they did digital, they did social, maybe email, whatever it was. But then that was just a piece of the program where now we're seeing a lot more organizations say, no, actually digital and kind of this, this, channel focused approach is not what we need to do we need to do this more on hey we're going to engage our donors across multiple channels and that's the center, central to, or central tone um, of the strategy rather than treating it as kind of a channel specific strategy have you seen organizations that you work with kind of adopt more of this multi-channel approach versus kind of a isolated channel approach to their fundraising and, and any impact or kind of commentary that you would add to that
0: Well, you know, it's an interesting thing because I think that's right. It's just like in the supermarket business uh, before everybody had you shop in the store or you shop online and those were two entirely different things. But as we all know, this last year, um, you know, a lot more people are doing both. Um, And I think the same thing applies with the way that marketing is being done and the way that uh, we're approaching that, because um, really, rather than having these segmented, isolated approaches, it's all about how do we reach uh, people in a consistent way across where they are, right? And so, some people are spending time here, some people are spending time there, but everybody can be reached in a in a what I'll call a more universal or uh, as opposed to a segmented approach. So, I think it's I've seen I've seen more of that uh, happening, and I think part of it is is out of necessity because um, this last year really challenged us in how we reached out to people. But I think that. Um, just doing digital would have been cold. So I think you know there's a warm element um, that that feels more warm anyways when you can reach out and call somebody, when you also get a personalized email, when you also can connect with them on social media and respond to them. I mean, it's social media after all, it's not uh, one way. Um, So I think, yeah, integrating all of that together and finding ways to um, more holistically connect with donors is indeed happening and where it's kind of going.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Brian, this has been super helpful. We kind of condensed tons of feedback uh, into kind of one session. But as people are walking away from this conversation, what are kind of the two or three things that you would encourage them uh, to keep focused on and maybe a, a practical application of that that they can pull through in their next week?
0: Well, I would say, um, you know, just kind of circling back around to the to the listening, because I think it, it kind of all starts with that again. Um, is, uh, you know, don't wait to get started that you can learn something today. You probably already have a way to do that. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to come up with a new way to do it, but look at what you're, uh, how you're collecting information today, what kind of information you already have and, and what channels you're using and, you know, start simple, move quick. Um, and uh, and make sure to reflect on all those things that you're doing so that you can clearly uh, make change and uh, do the good work that your organization is doing.
1: Indeed. Well, thank you so much for kind of that concise <laughs> summary and just providing, you know, your insights from kind of what you're seeing in the market and grateful for sharing your story. Yeah, absolutely. It was a pleasure to be here, Noah. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you wanna dig further into Responsive Fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the Responsive Fundraising Blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You also get the responsive fundraising playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is going to be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast.